Hello, everyone. We lost all sorts of track of time backstage. We're having such a great time meeting our new guests that you're going to get to meet in just a minute. It is 2 p.m. on a Friday afternoon if you're joining us live, which means it's time for another Kick-Ass Career Conversation. I'm Kim. I'm Louise. And we're joined today by... Donna. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Donna. We are good. Louise, we just lost your face. I know. My camera just got unplugged. Okay. Carry on. Well, Okay, we will carry on. Well, I mean, we didn't lose your face. We just can't see it. So that we talked about frogs and what happened to them last week. We don't need we don't need to do more scary things. So we are here to talk with Donna in just a little bit about magical frameworks. And we're gonna leave that to your imagination for just a minute. I'd love to know, just like we start every week, what are we celebrating? Donna, do you want to kick us off? Sure, sure. I will tell you what I'd love to celebrate today, and that's friendship. And I'll tell you why, because I am not a great friend. <laughs> I'm not a great friend and I'm not denigrating myself. Anyone who knows me would probably agree with me. And yet somehow I have amazing friends and I just would like to celebrate the fact that um, especially three, Cindy, Russell and Jordi, I'm calling you out. They are so faithful and so generous. And so I just feel I need to celebrate friendship and I get to be, I'm becoming a better friend because of them. Oh, <laughs> I just felt that in all the places. Oh, <laughs> love that. Thank Louise, you. what are you celebrating? Uh, I'm celebrating, uh, I'm celebrating me um, this week uh, and really diving into uh, focusing on the things that move me forward. Uh, a lot of times, I think, especially this time of year, there's a lot of noise and distractions. And so just kind of um, focusing without feeling overwhelmed, without feeling like I have to get all of the things done immediately. Um, when I looked back, I took some time this morning to look back on my week. And I was like, hey, I, I did a lot of things this week. And I'm feeling uh, energized and connected today. Um, because I was able to kind of drown out that noise and not not take too much on my plate um, and focus on those important things. So, um, yeah, it, it's tough this time of year sometimes to do that when all of those things are going on. So I would like to give myself a little pat on the back today um, for, um, for focusing and, and moving the needle. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm at today. Nice job. It sounds like you're uh, taking your sign that sits behind you that says the obstacle is the way to heart right now. It's like, oh, focus is sometimes the obstacle. It is, it's hard to find that time to focus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it just has big rewards. Um, I think we forget because we were thinking of, I, at least I think of all the things that fall off the plate, right? Um, not the things that get accomplished, but that's why we celebrate. That's why we take this time every week is to focus on those things that are working well um, so that we can remember that we've shown up for ourselves and our friends um, in that way. Kim, how about you? What are you celebrating today? Ooh, it has been a week. It has been a week. And I say that from both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> it um, Last week, I was celebrating the slowness that I stepped into the day. And it was interesting because today was also a slow morning, but in a very different way. Um, a lot of sleep issues this week. So not celebrating the sleep issues. Um, I'm celebrating that during the days, though, they have been filled with so much juicy and yummy stuff that 
it has kept me from from feeling the fatigue, from feeling the brain fog, from feeling all those things we normally feel when our sleep gets thrown off. Thanks, perimenopause. Um, right? It's it's it it's real. It's here. Um, and having the ability to be fully invested in what's happening, and it's been from amazing conversations. I led a, a really gorgeous up, um, visioning session to help people kind of step into what their big dreams are for 2024. Um, but I'm also celebrating a lot of technology. There's been a lot of wins around technology this week, even though we are already in the shadow of next week's Mercury retrograde and I'm feeling it in terms of things blowing up. It still was really like there was a lot of wins. It was like, oh, look what can this can do. Oh, look what this can do. <laughs> so all my pieces and parts got happy this week, <laughs> <laughs> even with a lack of sleep. Um, Donna, let's let people know about your genius here. And so that we can, I know, I know it's so it is, it's that weird place of people are talking about me. Um, so Donna is originally from New York. Um, and she left her work behind at the world-famous Math Institute at NYU to hitchhike around the world at age 26. She went on to find the quiet hills in, of Santa Fe, only to realize the hills were bilingual, and she was not. So she flew across the ocean to Spain for an intensive two-month Spanish immersion class. Well, 20 years later, she is still in Spain checking off vocabulary lists in between dips in the sea with her water dog, Mocha. Donna is an author, podcast host, teacher trainer, creator of the award-nominated website Scaffolding Magic, travels the world giving talks and workshops to facilitate educators to create dynamic learning environments in which students develop agency and those skills that will make them viable in the future professional world. Woo! Woo-hoo! <laughs> sounds so impressive, doesn't it? Sounds so interesting. It sounds fun! <laughs> It was fun. It was. It's been fun. It's been fun. You 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 ask on your questionnaire whether it's a straight line where we have ended up now, or it's an octopus type thing. And I love that. And I thought, yeah, kind of octopus, you know, all over the place. And that's what makes life interesting, isn't it? Well, tell tell us more. Like you know, I don't know about you, but I know early on in my. Uh, life, my professional life, or my late academic life, uh, it, there was not an octopus. It was like, here's this straight line, right? That's kind of served up to us. But but tell us more about like your your octopus journey and what what inspired you to stay like uh, on the arms and not on the straight and narrow path. Well, I don't think it was it was never a decision, and, and I think that's why it's been so squiggly. If it had been a decision, then it would have been a straight line because I would have known what I wanted and there's always a way to get there. And what it was with me is I think a lot of it has to do with I'm the third daughter. I have a younger brother, but I have two amazingly intelligent and you know powerful sisters. And so they did everything our parents wanted them to do and I didn't have to do any of it. So I just sort of wandered and, and I was an English literature major in college. What do you do with that? There is no straight line for that unless... <laughs> Of course, you want to be a professor in a university, and I had no interest in that. And I still don't. I work for universities, um, but I don't want to be a professor. And actually, Louise might understand this better than even I do. When you work in a university, you're not automatically a professor. You just work in a university. And I started calling myself a professor, and people corrected me. So I, that was very humbling. But 
to be a professor, you have to do a lot of work. You have to write a lot of articles and you have to be friends and appreciate the right people. And it is a, it's a full-time job on top of a full-time job. So luckily I never wanted to do that. And I just have kind of hopped from one thing to another following my heart, which has been pretty scary at times, but very fulfilling most of the time. And now what I'm doing is, you know, I'm skipping a lot, but what I'm doing now is coaching in schools and coaching in different parts of the world, which I find really satisfying. So you tell me how much you want me to go into different parts of it, but the straight line was never part of my path. (laughs) Do you feel like, like, so we talk a little bit here on the podcast and I talk a lot about it, about pivoting, right. And about, you know, taking your experience from, from, where you were, and then using that to go someplace else that maybe you didn't think about before. Has there been a a major pivot in your career that you kind of like, were a little bit more intentional about going in a certain direction? Or was it was it always just these degrees, these tiny degrees of adjustment? I think the biggest pivot and I can't, the only the biggest pivot was leaving a teaching job and going off on my own. For me, all of a sudden I was a freelancer, you know, in Spain, you call it autonomous. And so first I was working as, after college, I was working at the math institute, which was fascinating. And it was at the time computers were just coming out. And so I went from one law firm to another mostly, and I helped them either program or type documents. And I learned so much about the technological industry at that time. Then I realized that that wasn't very satisfying and I was just working to pay the rent. And, you know, New York City, that's what you have to do is pay the rent. Unless you have a lot of money, you don't enjoy being in the city as much as having to work to live there. So I said, I have to I have to leave the city. And I hitch, literally hitchhiked around the world for a year, came back, worked for some Hollywood producers. That is just um, a whole world in itself unless you want to be very aggressive, you need to get out. So I got out and I went to New Mexico and a lot of people move somewhere and find that that's where they're always meant to be. And that was my experience with, with Santa Fe. I found my people. I found my little corner of the world. I love Santa Fe. And I became a teacher there and never would have left except that Santa Fe is a very special place. A lot of Hollywood people have their second and third home. And so the prices are skyrocketing. And I was a teacher trying to live on basically Manhattan type costs. And that wasn't very satisfying. And as I kind of said in this little blurb, I needed to learn Spanish. We had a lot of Mexicans there. It was part of the culture at the time to be bilingual. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll go to Spain for a month and learn Spanish and then come back. And that's not actually how most people learn a language. They need a little more time. And so after a month, I realized I had learned about three more words than I knew when I when I landed and found a job. I, I was really, really lucky. I found a job at an American school here and American schools are all over the world. And what normally you do is you spend two years in one school and then move to another country in American school and work there two years, et cetera, et cetera. And at the time, they would pay for us to move around. They would pay for most of the costs. I don't know if they still do that. But what I just realized also is that I was comfortable living in Spain. It worked for me. 
And I also didn't want to work at that school anymore. And so that's when, Louise, you asked what the big pivot was. Mm-hmm. I had to take a deep breath and say, I'm not really happy at this school, but it is paying all the bills and it is giving me residency, but um, I think I can make it without the school. And I did. I, I went back to school to get my doctorate because I love learning. And so as I was getting my doctorate, I gave private English classes and I was fairly militant about it. I worked so hard, you cannot believe. I had no one else to depend on. There was no one else that was going to pay my bills. I was not going to tell my parents that I couldn't pay my bills. So I just worked as hard as I could. And kind of that's where I really carved my craft out because I wasn't just going to be an English teacher and and help them learn for tests. I wanted to know why they weren't learning. I wanted to know why they were they had fear around English. And I wanted to know why, especially teenagers, because I resonate most with high school students. Most people like the primary. I love high school students. I worked really hard to help them feel confident about themselves. So that's, that's a lot of what my practice is now still. So we took the title for today, Magical Frameworks, from the name of your business, right? Scaffolding Magic. Um, when Louise and I work with our clients, um, and even in our own businesses, we usually create some sort of framework, some sort of scaffold for us to kind of move our way forward on. And so I'm curious how you started to develop that in working with the high schools. I have a high schooler, uh, Louise has a high schooler. So it's, I'm fascinated from a very personal perspective, I'm fascinated, like, where you started to develop that in this process? I think it probably began in New Mexico because when I worked in New Mexico, I worked at a school that was in the middle of nowhere. It was next to the state prison, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And so we had we had students whose parents were very, very anti-establishment, very anti-establishment, very angry. Um, they were into all the things that had made that kind of ended up a lot of their relatives in the state prison. So a lot of my students had parents and relatives there and they didn't, they weren't interested in school. And that was a huge surprise to me. And I'm going to answer your question, but it's a very roundabout way of answering it. Um, I grew up in the Northeast in New York and education was primary. I mean, it was the most important thing you could do. And I thought that's what everyone thought, that education is the way that you you structure your future. And that had nothing to do with these, these students' reality. And so me being new and having a lot of energy, I thought, well, I'm going to just make them want to learn. <laughs> so I thought you could at that time. And what I did is create activities. And I, what I did is I recorded books and I found ways to help them like math and like English and like reading and the activities were meant to sort of fool them into to learning without even realizing. And so it began there. When I came to Spain, again, what I was saying is I had these high schoolers that were very intelligent, but were failing at English. And here in Spain, English is very, very important. In Europe, English is important all over the world. Maybe in five years, it'll be Chinese. We don't know. But I kept thinking, why are they failing English? They're intelligent. They're doing well on all other subjects. What is English is not very hard. It's the easiest language literally in the world to learn. And it was really about, you know, you have to go into the psychology about it. If you're obligated to learn something, you really don't want to learn it, most of us. And they felt 
a huge pressure about this. And, you know, it starts in preschool. I've done a lot of research on it. So if you start in preschool, quote unquote, failing at something, or someone tells you you're not good at something, or you kind of it permeates into your being. And so as they grow up, they keep failing the test because they know they, they have a feeling they're going to fail. So they do. And it just, it um, snowballs. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got them, they just felt like failures. And what I did was just create games. And I created these activities, scaffolding activities that help them move forward. And some of the scaffolding activities were, in Spain, memorization is primary. You memorize, memorize, and you memorize more. And it, it permeates a lot of the culture and that it's very, very regimented in a lot of ways. And with English, they had to memorize vocabulary and memorize conjugations and memorize sentences that meant nothing to them. You know, if you go into a classroom and you're given something to learn and it has no relationship to yourself or your life or your interests, none of us really resonate with it, right? So what I try to do in the classes is not teach to their exams, but give them the tools, give them a platform so that they could eventually pass those exams without even realizing it. So that's where it came to. And, and I love that you both have teenagers now. I think what your daughter is 14. She'll be 14 in January. Yeah. Okay. And Louise, how old? Uh, he'll be, he'll be 18 in February. Okay. Um, I just happen to resonate with high school kids. They, I, I always tell teachers, it is their job to fight you. That is what they are meant to like. It's just that age. And they do it so well, I just start laughing because they do it so well. And I say, and your job is to just be the limit, just be the wall, be a soft wall, so that they have something to bounce off of and just let them be. And they they do respond to that. Yeah. I'm not a mother. I haven't tried to do that with my own child because I don't have children, but it really works as a teacher. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I can say firsthand because we, um, that soft wall is, is pretty amazing place. I tell my daughter all the time, cause she'll get really upset with herself for getting mad and for arguing with me. She's a very, I'm a sensitive soul. So it's not surprising that I gave birth to a sensitive soul. And, um, she, she does, she gets very upset with herself when she starts yelling at me or being belligerent. And I'm like, it's okay. Like if you can't practice that with me, who are you going to practice that with? So I may not like it, but this is kind of the job I signed up for, right? Um, what you were sharing there, some of some of what was coming through for me in terms of the relevance outside of the teaching world, right? Daughter of educators, so I could go all in. I'm just talking about education all day. Um, but to kind of pull this out for anybody that's listening, that's like, yeah, but how does that help me? There was one piece of it that that idea of when it's when we can't see how it's related to us, it's really hard for us to buy into it. And so I think of when I was an employee and even when I'm working with my clients now, we need to feel that importance. We need to see the relevance for ourselves so we can make whatever progress we're making. So we can be connected to whatever project we're working on or whatever change and transformation we're working on. So that's one of those things that I think is so universal. And I find it fascinating from an educational lens to think about what a missed opportunity we have in education to start showing our students, our children, 
what buy-in looks like and, and teaching them how to find that for themselves, even if it's not coming from our teachers. Yes. And I think that you can take, you can take it outside of a classroom so easily by just using the term co-creation. Mm -hmm. If we co-create, we all feel that we're participating. We feel more valued. We feel seen. We feel heard. And yes, that needs to start in the classroom. It would be ideal if it could start in the family. Mm -hmm. A lot of you know, a lot of parents don't know how to do that. They have taken sort of the model of their parents. And, you know, my parents were very authoritarian. That was the type of parenting that happened then. Um, in school, we had authoritarian teachers when I was growing up because that was the model. When I became a teacher, I thought, I don't know what I'm doing. What am I doing up in the board writing these things and having them think that I know more than they do? I know a little more, but it didn't feel comfortable. And so, it didn't happen in the beginning, but now what I do is try to co-create as much as possible. And I'm not in the classroom. I don't, I'm I deal, I now deal with teachers. So I'm a teacher trainer. Um, do I miss the classroom? A little bit. I loved having a classroom, but what I really love is having a wider influence, encouraging teachers now to co-create with the students. Because we are living in a world where they are exposed to so much more information than when I was a child, when you were children. And what I say to them also is that if you're telling them what to do all, all day, and if you're telling them what to know all day, then they leave the classroom thinking, I need to look for someone to tell me what to do and how, what to know. Mm -hmm. That is not going to save the world. And, <laughs> you know, as you go with pivoting, we need to pivot oh, yeah. on a global level. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Well, and I hear that all the time from my clients too, who come like, so my pivoting clients who are looking for something new or my leadership clients who are looking to, right, like level up. It's like they come to me for these answers. And it's like, no, no, we are going to co-create, right? We are going to right, take a framework that I have, but this is you. This is, you're the driver of your career of, and, and you are going to, you're staying in the driver's seat. And so many people will be like, no, I, but I don't want to drive. I don't know how to drive. Right. Because they've it, we have this repeat pattern in all kinds of places in our lives where it's like we've been through the education system that tells us what we need to know and tells us what we need to do next. And we get to a point where it's like co-create what? what? Like, no. And it's like, oh, yeah. And so a lot of my coaching is just around that is getting people back in the driver's seat. Never mind figuring out what's next. Let's like figure out how to stay empowered. Let's figure out how to be in control so that you actually can co-create now and again and again and again. And that's what I love when you talk about your scaffolding, right? And it's like, because where we are right now, no matter no matter who we are or where we are, it's like it, it, is, it is just a part of a scaffold. There is more that we get to learn and do and grow as we go. I love that. Well, and isn't that the magic, right? Because you talk about, right, scaffolding magic, and we named this episode Magical Frameworks. The magic is that place of co-creation, is that place of empowerment for ourselves. Um, 
for our clients, for, for, and I mean ourselves, I mean each of us as an individual within, within the world, the magic comes from that place of recognizing we don't have to have all the answers. If we don't have the buy-in, like asking the questions, because you can create that co-creation yourself, even if it's not coming at you, right? Owning that and bringing that power back into ourselves and co-creating our lives. I, I mean, Louise, I think this is really what we talk about when we talk about crafting a career mm -hmm. is you're co-creating that, right? Even as an entrepreneur, we're co-creating it because we can't just create a business and be like, this is what I'm putting in the world. I don't care what you want. <laughs> you have to co-create it with your clients and your customers. Like that's what happens. So I think that's the magical part. I don't know. What do you think? I, you know, when I saw that you had named it Magical Frameworks, I thought, did I create that? Did I suggest that? That's very interesting. And I thought, you know, it, it, I love magic. Listen, behind me, it look, I, I have this because publishers like me to talk in front of books. So I have these books here and a lot of them are educational books. But on the other side are fairy tale books, because what did I do my doctorate on? Not education, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I did it. No I way. did it on fairy tales. Fairy tales. I love fairy tales and I go for the underlying message in fairy tales. And my doctor was actually on The Witch is the heroine of fairy tales. Yes. And the, thank you. Thank you, Kim. So, yes. the witch, you know, another is a metaphor for any challenge you have in your life, anything. And I find that fascinating. So the magic, you know, it came from the fairy tales and scaffolding also, we really should define what a scaffold is because a lot of people have different understandings of it. Scaffolding could be the scaffolds for a building that can, you know, hold up the frame while you're filling in the middle. And then you take the scaffolds away and the building stands up for it by itself. Hopefully that's the idea. Um, for in education, you can have scaffolds which give you sort of uh, support, either language support or conceptual support or imagery, you know, visual support, so that you can move into new knowledge more easily. I use a different term that other people may resonate with a little more. I say giving a helping hand. So the activities are giving a helping hand to learners so that they can move into new knowledge more easily. And the magic comes from that they don't realize that they're learning because hopefully it's fun for them. And what I do and what I encourage other people to do, and you probably do it too in your own businesses, though you may not see it this way, is you do it through different learning styles. So it may be music for one person. It may be some, simply letting the child stand up and learn. It may be having them speak, listen, draw, anything that resonates with them. And so kind of the magic is for me to understand what resonates for them in learning and for them to, you know, when their eyes light up, they realize that they understand something they haven't understood in maybe years. That's magic. That is magic. So. Oh, that's the yummy stuff. I, so for 10 years, I worked in a Montessori school on the administrative oh. staff. Oh. And that's where our daughter started her educational career. Excellent. When we moved up to Montreal, she went into public school and all of a sudden it was very different because the teaching style was different and she wasn't having that magical place of co-creating with her teachers and with her, her peers. Um, she's in an IB school, so there's a little bit more of that, okay. but it's still yeah. very like authoritative top-down teaching. And it's it's been interesting to see her response to it. Um, unlike a, a typical American parent, I'm not like, go get those biggest grades. Like that's not my ideal. 
probably because of where we came from in her educational career, but also my understanding of through my own life, mm -hmm. kind of seeing that how the educational systems have changed, particularly in North America. And um, so letting her say this teacher, I'm not, I'm not learning from this teacher. I'm like, okay, then you just do the best that you can. Like if you don't get an A in the class, you don't get an A in the class. Mm -hmm. You don't get a B, you don't get a C, whatever it is. Like we'll get you the support so you can pull the knowledge that you can and understand that we don't all learn the same way to the point that you just made. Like we don't, we don't all learn the same way. We don't all respond the same way. We don't all show up in our work the same way. And so having that magical ability to understand who we are and how we need to show up, whether we're learning or working or being gives us that. And oh my gosh, the fact that you did <laughs> on fairy tales that just like made my life. I just said, <laughs> so exciting. I won't tell anybody though. <laughs> we are the best kept secret on the internet. So I do have to say though, my, one of my sister's daughters was in the IB program and I tutored a couple of kids in the IB program. And it is really remarkable because what it does is even though it's within an authoritarian type of structure, yeah. it really promotes critical thinking. And that is more important than anything. And kudos to you, Kim, for not stressing the grade because she's thinking anyway, she's, yeah. she's developing more tracks in her mind. And that's the most important thing in my opinion. Thanks. And there, thank you. I appreciate that. And, um, and it's also right. Like, let's be real. They're, they're 12, 13, 14, 17 years old. And there is that social emotional part of it that we tend to throw out the window, right? It's like, we focus on the IQ instead of the EQ. And I'm like, part of that developmental phase is the EQ. And so we need to give them the space to experiment with that too. Yes, and and here's going to be a shameless sort of plug that cool. one of my online courses is on the effective domain, and the effective domain is focusing on the emotional health of our students and really developing activities that help them feel safe in the learning environment because otherwise, they literally they their brain is not going to work as fluidly. So the effective domain is so critical. And um, there is one other thing I wanted to mention about the co. I'm going to jump back to co-creation if you don't mind, cool. because I think yep. this is a whole a whole conversation in itself. Mm -hmm. Within the co-creation, I think it's also really important to promote as much as possible questioning. And I think that once we give permission to our students, our colleagues, um, whomever is surrounding us, permission to question our decisions, their own decisions, the decisions of other people around them, respectfully, it needs to be respectful, then we've opened up a whole world of negotiation, which is incredibly valuable in this day and age. So as a former attorney and uh, who my partner in crime is a questioner by nature, you just spoke <laughs> to both of our hearts. Wow. Okay. Great. Yeah. I, you know, I talk a lot uh, with my clients about, you know, understanding their superpowers. 
right? And really diving in and developing, like understanding like what it is that you're putting out into the world. And there are a lot of people like that, that curiosity is their superpower. Um, and the way that we can step in and not just question what's going on, right? Like, or question authority or question, right? Like not just that, but actually open the door up for other people by the questions that we ask, right? As coaches, we know there are powerful questions in the world that let someone uh, move forward, that remove obstacles. And all we've done is ask a question. And I just think that there's so much power and curiosity that it can, it starts not just to open doors for us, but it starts to open eyes. You talk about that, like light bulb going off, right? And, and sometimes it's just people are, are answering um, a question that we've posed. And I just think, absolutely, if, if we can become more curious uh, in our culture, um, it opens up doors, but it also allows us to hear what other people are thinking and have to say, our empathy, right? Our active listening, like, I don't know, just you name it. Um, it all gets amplified by just stepping into that curiosity. I love that, Donna. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and not just the fact that we become more curious, but when we ask someone else a question, all of a sudden they, their world opens up because they feel more seen. Yeah. And they, hopefully we're asking them a question, maybe in a way they've never been asked before. Um, I believe there are lower order questions and higher order thinking questions. And the most powerful questions are how, why, and what if. And you may use these all the time and not realize how open they are. Um, as teachers, we like to use the lower level questions because they're easier to ask and they're easier to evaluate. The higher level questions are open. There, there's no one direct answer, no one concrete answer. And so it's much more subjective and that makes a lot of teachers nervous. But that's where, again, if we're gonna go back to the magic, that's where the magic is. Yeah. So you can answer anything as long as they can justify it. Yeah. Absolutely. I see that in leaders too. Leaders mm -hmm. who are looking to level up their leadership, um, right? Turn their, those questions into those higher level questions. Yep. 100%. I just had that conversation with, uh, with one of my clients just the other day. I'm like, well, what kind of questions are you asking your team? Right. And um, the why tends to be like one of the places that people are really scared to ask, I've found. It's the, they'll, they'll default to the how uh -huh. or the, um, you know, in terms of some of those higher level questions, they will, they will, they'll say how, right. Or, you know, when or where, cause those are, they can throw in as well. But the why is scary. I find that they're really afraid to focus on why for themselves because the immediate response is, I don't know. When you ask people why things it's like, well, I don't know. It just is. Yeah. Well, why? And and as a leader, I think they're afraid because that is asking that's that's opening up an opportunity to get to get more information, to get feedback that may not be so comfortable to hear. So I feel like that why is really hard for people. I don't know. You both looked surprised when I said that. <laughs> no, I'm not surprised at all. At all, because as a leader, depending on what type of leader you are, unless you um, have meditated and are, are very sure of yourself, as long as if you know yourself, 
then it's easier to ask to get feedback. And then you can measure it against what you feel comfortable with about yourself. And if you if there, the answer pushes you a little bit out of your comfort zone, you'll be able to handle it. I think the problem comes with when a leader is so insecure about her or his um, positive points that they can't take any negatives. What Does that resonate? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you see that in your clients, Louise? Yeah, absolutely. I think too, those kind of those higher level, deeper questions, um, it means that we have to detach from the outcome. A lot of times we go and we approach a problem and we go, I know the solution and I'm just going to ask people and I'm going to guide them to my solution. I'm going to take them from here. And we think we're, we think we're co-creating. We're not. That's really you in the, in the passenger seat yelling at your driver, which way to go. Uh, right. And so when we ask these deeper level questions, we have to kind of give up a little bit of that um, attachment we have to the outcome and say, well, if we're going to be moving forward, how can I help the driver get point the car in the right direction? And then let's see where we go. And that is very, very scary for a lot of people um, because we give up a little bit of control, but we have to detach from our, that outcome and let people drive their own cars for crying out loud. Stop yelling from the passenger seat. Yeah, I, I never sit in the passenger seat, so I don't even know how that feels anymore. <laughs> but as a tangent, as a tangent on this, it's, it's kind of interesting because I was thinking about my practice here in Spain, and I've been here for more than 20 years. And so I most of my work is with the Spanish, although I go to other countries. And I go to the workshops and I present these scaffolding activities and the teachers' light, eyes light up and they say, oh, I love this, I love this, but I'll never be able to use it. We have a curriculum, we have inspectors, blah, blah, blah. And what I, I'm finally feeling that I'm being kind of worn down by the resistance. And that's not a good place to be. All it means is that I need to work more outside of the country. I'm still very happy here. But what it is, is a resistance, as you were saying, Louise, it's a resistance. And I see it as a resistance to freedom. They don't want to take the chance. They don't want to go somewhere where it's not secure. And the Spanish structure is very structured. And if I, you know, I've never been one to follow authority and follow rules. I see them as sort of guidelines. And if it doesn't make sense to me, then, you know, then it doesn't make sense to, I'm not going to use it. But that's not how people operate here. And so I, as I say, I'm getting a little worn down by the resistance. When I work with American teachers, it's, they're much more open. Um, I work in Finland as well. I just came back from Finland. It's a very structured, a very closed mindset at all uh, as well. And surprisingly. It's so, that's so interesting uh, because I would have, let me check this. No, I mean, I, I can see how U.S. teachers would be open to it for sure. I would be surprised in a lot of, and this is coming from being in Chicago. So very CPS being Chicago public school system, being a very large school system that there's not a lot of wiggle room. Um, there may be more than in other countries for sure. Um, and, and I feel like this is, and this is that, like, I'd love to just talk with you at nauseum about the educational system, because I feel like that's what we've done. N and to pivot to write to our listeners how this impacts them is we've also done that in the workplace. Like we've created these 
structures to go back to the frameworks of the scaffolding, we've created these structures. We societally have created these structures that don't allow us to feel like we do have any wiggle room, right? We're in these very rigid spaces that, that are not conducive to doing something outside of quote unquote, outside of the norm. When you're a rebel, right? You're like, oh. you're flagged. Yeah. And, and I would a little bit agree with that. And I'm going to a little bit disagree with that too, is because I think we carry a lot of that with us as well. Yeah. And we get afraid to experiment. We get afraid to try something different um, because we've put so much pressure on it or we're just going to follow this. So yes, a little bit, right. Culture top down, but also like there are things that like we can find places to experiment and explore and see test those and see if they're limiting beliefs or not. Um, so there was a yes and. Well, yeah. And I'm going to push back again because <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Going on here. <laughs> but that when we, those limiting beliefs come from somewhere and very often they come from because we've pushed that envelope or we've attempted to push that envelope and we've had our hands slapped. And I'm speaking from personal experience right? As well as the experience of, of many of my clients is when we attempt to push, we get our hands slapped. We find that we're, we can't move where we think we can move. We can't pivot where we think we can pivot. Um, so we have, there is always a way through. It may not be at the same organization in the same role. It may not be right. Right. And we need to be able to take that courageous step. So that's kind of the yes and there as well for me. Go ahead, Dana. You're chomping <laughs> no, at the bit. You're, you both were talking about leaders before, and I think this is the perfect place to come back to it because when I'm coaching a whole school at the same time, what I need to begin with is by explaining to them that in the best practices, the leader of the school needs to be creating other leaders who are creating other leaders. Mm -hmm. So when you're saying you don't want to, you know, if you're trying to do something innovative mm -hmm. and you feel your hand is slapped, that's because a leader is feeling threatened. You're mm -hmm. not feeling threatened as much as the person who is maybe your superior or maybe your client, you know, either way. But when you are working in an atmosphere where you're feeling emotionally and professionally supported, that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. You might have a structure, but it, it's more flexible, more malleable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a hundred percent. And I think having the, what we're going to be talking about next week. And I know that we've talked a lot about in other uh, episodes is right. Understanding that internal piece of it, right. Understanding where we are and when something is misaligned. And so one of a misalignment can be that place of, oh, I can't be as innovative as I want to be here. This is not in a place that this is being accepted. So you can continue pushing because we need those people in the world if that is in alignment with you to keep pushing. Or you can step out. You can find a way to do that, right? There's other myriad possibilities as well. Yeah, so I think that's a question. And I would love to know how you both feel about this. When is it appropriate to stay and to sort of carve out your own individuality in a, in a school, in a company, in a, in a business? And when is it time to leave? What are the key, what's the key factor? Good question. A million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, well a million dollar answer would be it depends. Mm -hmm. hmm. 
Yeah, it, it's. It, I want the two million dollar answer then, please. I know. Well, <laughs> we don't have enough time for that. No, the 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 reality is it it does depend because it depends on what serves you as the individual, and so it comes back to that place of co-creation. So if you are in a role in a business, um, you've created a business yourself. That is in the in my opinion, not aligned with you. And so you're feeling like you need to be pushing, whether it's for innovation or so, for something else. If you're feeling that need to push, you need to identify if pushing is something that is motivational for you. Because that to me, right, if, if, if you are motivated by and aligned with the idea of being that true rebel, of being that person who is pushing things forward, by all means, do that. If that, however, is zapping your energy, zapping your strength, zapping your, your well-being, it's not. That's not a space for you. And it's going to be dependent on – so there were some roles for me that I was like, yeah, I can push here. This feels good and aligned, and, and I feel energized by pushing here. And there's other spaces, more spaces than not, that I'm like, that's not my role. And I had to come to terms with that because I always wanted to be the person who was the like, yeah, let's go. And that's not always me. In fact, more often than not, it's it's not. Yeah. And so we're going to put a little twist. I'm sorry, Louise. I just want no, to no. say we're going to put a little twist on the word why. And you need to know what your why is mm -hmm. to decide whether yeah. you stay or not. Yeah. Yeah, you're, it's, it goes back to your own purpose, your mission, your vision, your values, um, and who, who you are, understanding who you are. Um, I think, right, as Kim was saying, like it comes out in are you, are you being drained by the action or are you being energized by it? That all comes back to your values and to the whole, to your whole purpose of why you do what you do. Maybe you are doing it to, right? to push, to make a difference, mm -hmm. to not, not give up in, in that space, but maybe your mission is different, right? And maybe it means you pivot so that you can live your mission and live your purpose in a place that is ease, right? And, and feels really good. Um, at the end of the day, right? It is about feeling good by the work that you're doing in the world, period, whatever that is. Um, so that's, that depends part. Um, it depends on you and, and what your values are and, and what your whole why is in, in the big wide world. Um, why do you do what you do? Um, and come back to that. So, so I have a magical question. How did 46 <laughs> minutes fly by like that? No. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I know we could continue this conversation for much longer, I feel, but <laughs> We we are in in uh, an effort to be a little uh, have a little brevity. We're gonna. We're gonna <laughs> uh, I just think Donna needs to be uh, uh, back on a, another episode, I and we can so. talk about all kinds of things. Like what so many juicy bits uh, in this episode today. So thank you, Donna. Um, I love the conversation. Well, let's get to those juicy bits. What are our golden nuggets? What are our takeaways from today? Why, Louise? <laughs> That's my nugget. I mean, <laughs> just yeah, yeah, yeah. reinforce that, right? Why? Why do we do what we do? Why, right? Why is a question? Why? Why? Um, and that, that power of curiosity and, and really understanding uh, what it is you can bring into the world when you're asking those right deeper um, level questions and um, that whole, like, what is our why? 
Um, and when we're grounded in that, um, it really does change the way we work at work, how we show up, the things we do, how we educate, right? How we, all of those things. It That why influences that how um, down the line. So that was my nugget. So thank you. No, and I will say that my golden nugget is the deeper question. And and I I just appreciate so much both of you for for not even spending any time on the superficial on superficiality of any of this, but going right to the deeper part and going right to the, you know, the heart of whatever we've been talking about. And my golden nugget is um taking the opportunity to explore something deeply. So I appreciate that. Beautiful. Beautiful. I actually have two today. One is the magic is in the co-creation, right? I just, there, that just, that landed really well for me. The magic is in the co-creation. And then the effective domain, right? When you started talking about that, we didn't dive deeply into it, but there is something there. And that's a thread I'm going to pull um, in terms of thinking about the, the psychological safety at work, but however we define work and what we need so that we can be effective. And so I'm going to pull that and, and do my own little deep dive on that separate department. <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank you. That's my passion right now, the effective domain. So yes. Ooh, beautiful. beautiful. Um, Donna, where can people connect with you out in the world if they want to understand a little bit more about the work that you do? Well, thank you very much for asking. You can find me at scaffoldingmagic.com. Very easy. Thank you very much. That's so sweet of you. And there's just a plethora of ways to you can interact and find activities and find me and, well, you know, and the effective domain, the course on the effective domain. So, yeah, please just write to me. You can find me there. So thanks. Absolutely. Absolutely. I yeah. love it. Louise, what do we have coming up next? Coming week? up next week uh, is Michelle on cultivating growth from within. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic episode. Uh, I love this topic too. I love all our topics. I love all our guests. Um, we have a really great time diving into the deep um, and talking about things that matter. So I'm really looking forward to that. Same time. Uh, what is it? Same bat place, same bat phone. Same, same bat channel. Bat, bat, channel. Phone. bat phone doesn't know. That, that channel. Okay. You can but, just go for it. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. You can make it up however you want to do it. Um, what, <laughs> if people want to um, connect more deeply with us and have these deep conversations, how could they do that? Absolutely. Uh, you can find us at yourkickasscareer.com. Uh, so go there. Please check us out. Uh, there's an opportunity for you to uh, connect with us in uh, our, your, uh, Kick-Ass Career Collective. Uh, please check that out. Um, it is about bringing humans together uh, to change the way we work at work uh, so that we are plugged in and connected uh, with the things we do uh, for a paycheck, uh, either in your entrepreneurial journeys or in your professional ones. Uh, we all have careers, so let's make them a kick-ass. I think it's funny. Entrepreneurial and professional, entrepreneurial and job are different things. I'm like, they're no, not. They're not. I'm just trying to cover all the bases. I am here to change that message. Um, <laughs> yes, it is a fabulous place with fabulous people coming together as we are crafting our own um, kick-ass careers in the world, whatever that looks like for yourself. So we would love to see you there. Um, we've already talked about what we're doing next week. Donna, stay warm. <laughs> yeah. That's easy during the day. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Both of you too. That's more relevant for both of you. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> we're not even gonna, that's just rude at this point. <laughs> it 
been a pleasure. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Donna. Take care, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. See you next week. Bye for now. Bye for now.